<clears throat> so we are uh, in a series called We Are Family. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, just looking at what does it mean when God calls the family together? What does it mean to be a church? This week, uh, you know, I was thinking about this because um, one of our family members is, is, has uh, potential cataracts. Right? Like for those of you who are older, you know what cataracts are. Basically, there's, uh, there's a little bit of a vision issue that's going on with one of their eyes. And I started researching about the human eye. And the human eye is actually this amazing thing. I don't know. There we go. Human eye, is a, it's, it's an amazing thing. You, you may not realize this, but when, when the human eye looks at the world, it, it's letting in all this light. And, and the pupil uh, will, will dilate depending on how much light is there. It's taking all this light and it's uh, going through this lens that, that, will, that will shrink or, or enlarge based on uh, the focus. And it's going on over a mil- 100 million receptors in the back of the eye that those optic nerves will then send it to the brain, which is actually upside down. You guys may know that. The, the image that it sees is upside down, and the brain translates it so that it, it's right side up. And so when you're using your human eye, like most of us, we don't think about it. We're just looking at like, oh, this is what the world looks like. As you get older and as your vision deteriorates, you realize, oh, you know, so many things need to work just right, Right? For, for the eye to work. And so you, you can tell I'm wearing glasses. My eyes are already defective. I'm looking for the day my eyes are redeemed. But until that point, you know, it's like so many things has to work just right. If, if my eyes weren't working and it wasn't, you know, sending the right image to my brain, the whole world would be upside down, right? Or if my eyes weren't working, I wouldn't be able to see clearly. My, my body, it, it just wouldn't function correctly. And then it got me to think, you know, every part of our body is so intricate. In order for the body to work, in order for you to even run, right? So many muscles and cells have to be triggered for, for your body to work. And Paul likens the church to human body. That each one of us as believers, we're part of this body of Christ. And every single one of us, we actually have a task to do. We might be one of those hundred million receptors we might be the lens we might be a muscle we might be a foot we might be a, a mouth but we each have a role to play for the body to work and uh, last week pastor Yuji talked about how the way we live matters the unity that we have is one faith one baptism one lord one god but today paul kind of goes a different route and, and, and he he says even though we are unified even though there's unity there is a diversity within the body. And in order for the body to fully work, we have to recognize that diversity. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. If you need a Bible, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4. Go ahead, raise your hand. But will you pray with me as we look at this beautiful body that, that Paul tells us about and our specific roles in it? Heavenly Father, God, would you just open our ears right now Would you open our hearts? Would we be tender towards you as we look at your word? Would you convict us and call us and draw us to the truth that you reveal to us through your word? Might your spirit speak loudly to us. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul begins in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and following. 
<clears throat> but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Notice at the very beginning, he already uses this contrasting word, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And what Paul here is saying is that every single person that has received the gift of eternal life, every single person that is a follower of Jesus Christ, a grace has been given to you. Now, we don't typically say grace that is given to a person. It's a little bit awkward. You know, in the English, it's an awkward usage of that word grace. Sometimes we'll say, well, you know, this person is gracious, right? They're, they're kind. Or we'll say that person is graceful, right? They're, they're, very, um, they're very fluid in, in, in how they move. The word that Paul uses here for grace, it means it's a free gift from God, right? It's a, it's a, it could be a supernatural enablement, it literally just means a free gift from God. But here he's referring to either something that's a supernatural enablement. That means God is helping you do something. God is enabling you for a supernatural task. It could be a spiritual ministry. God has given you the grace of this particular service. Or it could be an assignment or task. It is a grace for you to do this thing. And what Paul here is saying is, God has given each of us a free gift. It might be a supernatural enablement. It might be a spiritual uh, ministry. It might, it might be a task, right? But the point that he's saying is God has given each one of us, oops, God has given each one of us a spiritual gift, a ministry or a task, each slightly unique, each slightly different, but all important. Every single one of us has a gift, a ministry, or a task. And it is vital to the health of this church. Now, some of us were thinking, huh, that, that, that's kind of weird because I don't know what my spiritual gift or spiritual ministry is. And sometimes we get confused when we talk about spiritual gifts. Sometimes we think, well, I don't have a spiritual gift. You know, uh, Pastor Dean, you have a spiritual gift because you work for the church. Right. Or, or, you know, these other guys, they have spiritual gifts because they, they've been. I, I, don't, I don't I don't have a spiritual gift. But notice what Paul says. Each one of us. Was given this grace. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you, too, you have a gift. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a ministry. And sometimes for for some of us, we're like, ah, I don't know. And really the question that we should be asking isn't like, you know, what is my spiritual gift? But what, where should I serve? How can I, how can I help this body grow? And sometimes there's times that we just need to try things out. Some people will say, uh, well, I, I, I have a spiritual gift. I don't, I don't like it. I wish I had, you know, I wish I had Grace's gift. I wish I had Christina's gift. I wish, I wish I could play piano. I wish I could sing. I wish I could teach. I wish I could, you know, be a Stevensman. I, how come I don't have their gift? For some of us, you know, for me, I, I'll compare myself with other preachers. I'm like, I wish I could preach like them, right? I have this gift of teaching, but I wish I could be like them. How come I don't have their gift? But notice also in this verse, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In accordance with, with how Christ measures things out. My girls... Because I love them, I, I share stories about them, but they're not always great stories. My girls will sometimes fight for dessert, right? And so early on, we discovered uh, a method that one gets to cut and the other gets to choose, 
right? That, that makes a lot of sense. So the person who cuts tries to make it as fair as possible, but sometimes one will cut and they will choose and then they will take a bite of it or they will lick it so the other person can't have it, right? And so it's an unfair measurement, but what Paul is saying is God has gifted each one of us with a particular ministry, with a particular spiritual enablement, and he has measured it out. He has portioned it out. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly how he created you. And he knows exactly what your church needs, what this church needs. And he says, this is what you have. The portion that you have is measured out by Christ. The ability that you have is measured out by Christ. The capacity that you have has been measured out by Christ. So don't look at someone else and say, I wish I had their gift. I wish I was more like Luis Palau as an evangelist or Billy Graham as an evangelist. I wish I was more like John Orberg as a preacher. You are who you are by God's grace, gifted to this church to serve and to build up. It wasn't by accident. Christ knew exactly what he was portioning out. So every Christian, they have a gift that is perfectly suited for them, is perfectly measured out for them. Uh, as Paul says, but grace was given uh, to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, before Paul tells us what kind of gifts he has, he goes on a little bit of an excursion. Now, I, I was tempted not to cover these verses because in some sense, this is a parenthetical passage. In fact, in your Bibles, there's actually parentheses around it. But I think it does kind of paint a very interesting picture for us. Ephesians 4, 8 says, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? Uh, but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. It's kind of interesting because he's talking about gifts and all of a sudden he's talking about this king who goes up, uh, comes back victorious from war. And, and the, the picture of this king is he's coming back and he's giving gifts to all of his, his uh, citizens, right? And so what Paul is doing, he's actually thinking back to an Old Testament passage in Psalms. And he, he's interpreting this picture with Jesus Christ as his victorious king because Jesus has conquered sin Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has conquered Satan. And even though it's not fully there yet, he pictures Jesus coming back after conquering sin and death. And he's saying to all of his followers, here's some gift for you. Let me give you gifts. If you guys are Warriors fan, which I am not, I just let's just be clear. We know where loyalties are. If the Warriors, by some act of God, wins this year's playoff, right? When is it? By some, I know you got to start praying. You, some of you guys got to fast. If they win this year's playoff, they will have a party. They will have a, uh, they will, they will go out in the streets of Oakland and they will go on this, this car ride and, and people will be cheering for them saying, oh, we always love the Warriors. We know they're all bandwagon fans, but they'll say, oh, we always love the Warriors. They'll be like confetti and the Warriors, because they are gracious winners, they will hand out things like t-shirts or bobbleheads, or whatever other trinkets the Warriors like to give. You know, Draymond will probably wear a shirt that says, you know, the East, East, East playoff team is horrible. And they will just continue, you know, they'll, they'll shower gifts upon their fans. In a similar way, that's what a king does when he returns victorious, and that's what Christ is doing. And so Paul is saying, Christ gave us a gift because he has conquered sin and he has conquered death, 
And you now, you receive a gift. The very fact that you have a spiritual gift is indicative of Christ's victory over sin and death. So uh, he goes on and he says, there are now four foundational offices, four foundational gifts that Christ gives the church. Uh, Now, before I begin, um, some of you guys may be thinking, I don't know how to count uh, because you see five there. We'll talk about this. But Paul says, let me, let me tell you about these four gifts that, that God has given to the church. They're very important. They're foundational. They're necessary offices in the church. So let's take a f- look at the first two. The apostles and the prophets. Oops, sorry. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, When Paul talks about the apostles and prophets, this isn't the first time that he actually talks about the apostles and prophets. In fact, two other times in the book of Ephesians, Paul uses the phrase apostles and prophets. Earlier on in chapter 2, so then you are no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the households of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then later on in chapter 3, he says, The mystery of Christ, uh, which you've heard, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, Paul has a very specific meaning in mind when he talks about the apostles and prophets. The word here for apostles, when we look at the, the Greek word, it actually literally just means someone who is sent. A person who is sent by anyone. So you could be apostle of anybody, and, you know, and that, that term would fit. But in the New Testament, apostles almost always refer to the 12, right? Judas replacement, including Paul. And their primary function was to declare the whole body of truth concerning Jesus Christ. So when Paul is talking about the apostles, he's thinking specifically of these foundational group of men who declared the whole prophet, uh, a whole counsel of God, of Jesus Christ. These are men that were sent out by Jesus himself. These were men who were, uh, they were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. And they were sent out by Jesus to, to share the truth uh, that he shared with them. Secondly, he talks about a prophet. A prophet is a person who speaks forth for God. In the Old Testament, you would hear phrases like, thus says the Lord. So God would speak to the prophet, and the Hebrew word for prophet literally means someone who speaks forth. They hear from God, they speak forth. They're not making stuff up. They're just, they're just the messenger, and God would speak to the prophet, and he'd speak forth. And so their primary function is to proclaim. They're saying, this is what we heard from Christ himself, and I'm just going to speak forth. And so when Paul talks about the apostles and prophets, he's saying these are the foundations of the church. And once the church is established, these offices are no longer necessary. We have all the writings that we need in the New Testament. We have the, the, the written words of God himself in our New Testament. We do not need any new Revelation. Now, some people say, well, I just received a new word from God. If it's not in Scripture, it's not necessary for our spiritual growth. And what Paul here is saying is the foundation has been laid for the church. Christ is the cornerstone. The apostles, the prophets, they've laid the foundation. And now we, as, uh, as Christians 2,000 years later, we benefit 
from having the word of God in print form. We could read all the words that these apostles and prophets have declared. So now that the church is established, uh, we have the ministry of the apostles and prophets, but they're no longer apostles and prophets in that same sense. Then he goes on to the evangelist. Now, the evangelist is kind of interesting because we hear of the word evangelist. Sometimes we think of, you know, like Billy Graham or we think of uh, Luis. Are you guys familiar with Luis Palau? Some of you? No. There's another guy. Who's the guy at Harvest? Um, who? Greg Laurie? Greg Laurie, another uh, popular evangelist. There's actually quite a few. Uh, but these are men and women who are called by God to share the gospel and bring people to salvation. In some sense, you could say they're like the obstetrician. They're the ones who deliver people into life, from death into life, right? They have this special gifting, they have this special calling to be able to share the gospel. But it's not just them themselves that are sharing the gospel. They're actually teaching and encouraging others. You may have an evangelist in your life that is constantly needling you. Hey, who are you sharing the gospel with? Hey, who, you know, what obstacles do you have when it comes to sharing the gospel? And so they're called by God to share the gospel. But every single one of us as believers, we are called to share the gospel. God has gifted the church, though, with certain individuals who are able to share the good news, to point people not just to their sin, but to the way out of sin. And there are some in this room who may be gifted evangelists. There are some in this room who you just have this ability to talk with people and you're able to point them to Christ. Don't take that for granted. The church absolutely needs you. And finally, this fourth office that he talks about is the role of the shepherd slash teacher. Now, the reason I actually combine them together, in the Greek, there is only a one definite article in front of this, these two words. And so the, the reason... Paul does that is each one of these are distinct except for this last one. And when Paul's writing this, he's saying the shepherd teacher is one role. Elsewhere, he calls these people elders. So the job of a shepherd is to guard the flock that God has given to them. They're individuals who care for the spiritual needs of their flock, teaching them God's word, guiding and instructing them to obey his word. So the church has these roles. They have the New Testament. They have the Old Testament. They have the Holy Spirit. Right? They have evangelists and they have shepherds and teachers. And he gives us uh, these individuals for the growth and health of this church. Now, some of us were thinking, good, I'm not a shepherd teacher. I'm not an evangelist. I, I'm kind of off the hook. Paul's not really, really talking to me. Right? Um, not so fast. Look at why Paul gives us these particular people. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and here it is, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. These offices in the church, these particular people, these leaders in the church, they are actually not supposed to be doing the work of ministry. No, notice what he's saying. The people who are supposed to be doing the work of ministry are the saints, right? The saints. Now, we talked about what the saints are in, in previous weeks, um, We'll talk about it again, but notice the purpose of these offices, the purpose of these leaders is for the equipping of the saints. This word equipping, it's a beautiful word. <clears throat> we actually get the English word artisan out of it, right? It's someone who builds, someone who mends, someone who crafts, someone who, who puts something together out of nothing. He knows the exact purpose. My father-in-law, uh, I've showed some of you guys art, artwork from him. He, he, he's a fantastic uh, potter and he will take a lump of clay literally a lump of clay 
no forms or blah. And he forms it into this beautiful bowl or vase or plate. He knows in his mind, it's kind of interesting, he knows in his mind exactly what it's going to be, right? And, and when he forms it, it, it comes to its intended purpose. It comes to its intended uh, end, its usage. And so the purpose of these people is not so that uh, they're doing the work of ministry themselves. They're actually here. We're actually here to train and equip and mend and push all of you who are saints to do the work of ministry. And the goal is not for the leaders to simply do all the ministry. The goal is for the saints to do the work of ministry. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at that word also. We looked at, you know, who are the saints? And there's a little bit of confusion because I think in the Catholic tradition, saints are people who have performed miracles. Saints are people who are recognized by the Catholic Church and they're canonized by the Catholic Church. But saints, you like this picture? Saints are anybody who is a Christian. So, Tony, that's you right there. All believers are saints. Do not be confused and think there are two categories of Christians. They're the saints and the non-saints. If you are a believer, you are a saint, right? So right now, turn to the person sitting next to you and say, I am a saint. I'm assuming you're a believer. Now you tell them, you are a saint. All right, some of you guys are lacking conviction here. A saint literally means a person who has been set apart by God for a holy purpose. As believers, we have been set apart by God. We are his special people. We are his royal priesthood. God says, you are my people. You will serve me and you will share the good news wherever you go. You will proclaim the gospel wherever you go. And therefore, we have been set apart by God for a holy purpose. And what Paul here is saying is, you have a purpose too. You have a special ministry. You have a special enablement. You have a special gift. You have a special calling. And if you do not do this, the body of Christ will not work. And, and I want you to think about this very carefully because I know a lot of us, we come to church, we, we, we listen to the music, we listen to the message. Maybe some of us, we even go to Sunday school and then we leave and well, what's my, what's my role? If you are a part of this church family and you're not involved in building up this body, you're depriving me of something that God has given to us. You're depriving the person next to you of something that God has given to us. And I just want to be clear because I think in our day today, we, we have somewhat of a consumer mentality when it comes to church. I'm going to go to church because the preaching is good. Or I'm going to go to church because the lunch is good. I'm going to go to church because, you know, the people are friendly. But it's not, I'm going to go to church because I have something to offer to this body. And the truth is, we all have something to offer to this body. So don't think we could just come to church and we could just take without giving. We need to see what is our role in this church. What is the ministry that God has called us to do? Now, some of us were very welcoming. We're very friendly. You don't realize most people are not friendly, right? You're, you're like, I don't get it. I, everybody should be friendly. But you know, like naturally, I, I'm a very shy person. 
I don't like talking to people. This was an issue always. Growing up, my parents used to tease me mercilessly because they're evil. But they would say, Dean, you need to talk. I'm like, I don't want to talk. I don't know them. They might kidnap me. And I was like, Dean, you're like twice the size of everyone. I was like, I don't want to talk to them. Some of you guys are especially gifted in being friendly and welcoming. How can You could serve. You could help this church and just welcome people. Some of you guys love kids. I, I, actually, that, that's how I started uh, knowing that I wanted to get involved in full-time ministry. I love kids. I, I have always really enjoyed teaching kids. Even as a high school, I was teaching children Sundays. I just really enjoyed it. Some of you guys are great with children. Other of you guys, I wouldn't put you in the same room as a child. You guys are just so impatient. But, you know, we all have gifts. Some of you guys are great musicians. Some of you guys are great uh, technologists. Some of you guys are just very faithful. Some of you are just encouraging beyond belief. Some of you guys just have this ability to pray and pray and pray and pray. We each have a gift that God has given to us to do. What is your gift? What is it that you're doing? And uh, some of us, we were like, how come everybody's not like me? (laughs) How come not everybody could do this the way I do it? And, And the truth is, if we did that, we would be this deformed body would be this huge eye but there'd be nothing else right god has given each one of us a unique gift and we have to ask ourselves what is that gift and so later on when you hear uh, in the ministry fair all the different ministries you might not know if you're gifted as a as someone who welcomes if you're gifted at, at helping out with teaching or just try it out and see and someone will tell you you know this is not the right place for you or this is a great place for you and furthermore paul says these works of ministry They are for the building up of the body of Christ. So basically, if you can think of something that builds up the body of Christ, you can do it. That is a work of ministry, right? For some of us, it it might not be encouraging verbally, but you might just have this gift of of writing. We received a card this week, and it was just so, it just so well written. It just really ministered to us. Some of you guys have this ability just to write, right? Some of you guys, you know, you're able to cook and you're like, hey, this person's sick. I'm just going to bring food over to them. And it helps them. It helps the body. You know, they're going through a tough, some of you guys are able to fix things around around the house and you know some of you, they're just really struggling. If you're able to think of it and it's able to build up the body, Paul says, that's a work of ministry. It might be something that only God has given to you, but you should put it into practice. And like what uh, Pastor Yuji said you know, earlier, we do it humbly, right? We do it bearing with one another. We don't, we don't practice these gifts with, with pride. We do it because we recognize that we are building up the body. So what's your gift? In your, in your bulletin later, there's a QR code. I, I don't really understand QR codes. It looks like just a lot of dots, but apparently if you take your phone and you take a picture of it, it'll send it to you to a website. And there's an inventory you could take. And you say, I don't know what my gift is. Take that and then email your results to Grace Wayne. Um, or me, it doesn't matter. Um, and and we'll, we'll, we'll try to see how can we use your gifts. But notice, how long do we keep on doing this? Because some of us are thinking, well, I led worship already, or I've taught Sunday school, I, you know, I clean up around here. How long do we do this? Notice the goal of equipping is until we are mature. 
until we are spiritually mature. We keep on equipping until we as a church, we all, all of us, we are mature until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. This is actually literally personhood. To the measure of the stature, there's that word again, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We keep on ministering, not for our glories, not for this church. We we could care less if this church is known around the world. We keep on ministering uh, because we want to be mature. The goal of this church is we want to be mature. We want to uh, be like Christ. It's not something subjective. Notice what Paul says about maturity. Maturity isn't how much scripture you've read. Maturity isn't how much scripture you've memorized. Maturity isn't how long you pray. Maturity is measured to the stature of the fullness of Christ. And and what Paul here is saying is, here's a picture of Jesus Christ. You stand up against him, right? I remember when I was a kid, Michael Jordan was like the best basketball player. And sometimes you would see uh, him holding uh, his arms outstretched, right? And he has this like seven foot wingspan and he's holding a ball in. And I would take a picture uh, standing against this cutout and you see he's just like towers over me and his arms are so much longer than me. I'm like this, right? And you kind of, you're measuring yourself against greatness. And what Paul here is saying is maturity is measured against Christ. When we as a church look like Christ, when we as a church think like Christ, when we as a church act like Christ, when people come and they see this church and they say, there's something different about these people. The way they love, the way they welcome, the way they they care for one another, it's almost divine. That's what Paul is saying maturity is. It's not based on how much we know. It's not based on how much we do. It's based on are we like Christ yet? Are we conformed into the likeness of Christ? When people look at us, do they get an aroma of life? Right? And Paul gives us two ways to grow. He says, well, there, there's many ways to grow, but he says there's two ways to grow. It's in the unity of the faith until we all, uh, we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Two ways for us to uh, reach maturity, two ways for us to grow in maturity. The unity of faith, and here Paul circles back to this theme of unity, and what he's saying here is that the faith that we have, right? we need to understand this faith, we need to share this faith, we need to be able to, to say <clears throat> there is no question about uh, the, the, the doctrines that we believe in, because it's this faith that brings strangers together. The fact that we are a family You could be homeless or you could be a millionaire. But the fact that we are a family is because of this common faith that we share. And until we attain a unity of faith, until we we know the content of the Gospels and we're, we're clear on the great biblical truths that tie us together, that we are all sinners, eternally separated from God, but God in his great love for us sends his own son to die to pay my penalty that if I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, that God forgives my sin, he covers the guilt that I have with the blood of his own son, that he forgives all my sins, all my debts, and says, you are now mine forever. Until we attain that unity, that we understand the faith that we have, 
right? That, that, that's one way, that we need to grow in this unity of faith. The other way we also need to do uh, to grow mature is to grow in our understanding of who Christ is. Now, the understanding here, the knowledge of the Son of God, it's not a, simply a head knowledge. Some of you guys, uh, like me, I, I enjoy information. It, it's just something I like to collect. Some people collect baseball cards. I, I like to collect Bible trivia. But that's not the kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about. The word for knowledge here is this experiential knowledge. right? I could tell you, well, Jesus was born probably in the springtime. And Jesus was probably born not in a barn, but, you know. I could tell you all these different, you know, tidbits. But what Paul here is saying is, do you, but do you really know Jesus? Have you experienced Jesus? Have you experienced his goodness? Have you really, truly experienced his forgiveness? Is he a living, breathing Savior with you? Or is he someone that you, you just know about? And what Paul here is saying is not only do we need to know the truth, but we need to experience the truth. We need to more, know more than just what we teach in Sunday school. We need to put Christ to the test. We need to taste and see that God is good. Now, Paul makes this connection I think is very interesting. Maturity only comes when we hear the truth and put it into practice. When we hear the truth about Jesus, about forgiveness, about love, about grace, and we put it into practice when we learn that we are welcomed into his family and we welcome others. When we, when we learn that we are forgiven and we forgive others. And it's almost like another author says, the, the faith without the actions, it, it's almost useless. Right? And Paul here is saying, is, we, we, we need to have the faith, but we need to also experience the faith. We need to have that experiential knowledge that Christ is true. And when we put that faith into action, we mature. And the goal of maturity, or the benefits of maturity, is that we are now rooted in truth. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceit schemes. And what Paul here is saying is, you each have a gift and your gift is vital and your gift is important and your ministry is crucial for this church. And when you practice that gift, we grow together. We, we grow in, to, uh, in the unity of faith. We grow in the knowledge of Christ. And it roots each one of us deeper and deeper into the truth that is the gospel so that when someone from outside comes and says, hey, um, have you heard this new teaching? Did you know that uh, maybe Jesus really had a secret family? Right? Every generation, or maybe even every couple of years, there seems to be something that comes up, right? And, and it's some sort of new teaching or new doctrine. There's nothing new under the sun, but for, it gets repackaged. Uh, so a couple of years ago, or actually maybe when I was younger, there's this controversy in the church. Like, oh, it's okay to follow Jesus. You could be a Christian, but you don't actually have to follow him, right? He, he's your savior, but he doesn't have to be your Lord. And that was kind of controversial for a while. And then uh, maybe, I don't know, when I was in high school or, or college, the Dan Brown books came out. And, and that's a kind of an old, old thing. But people say, well, have you heard of the Da Vinci Code? Because the, the Catholic Church, they, they try to like suppress the, the real truth that Jesus and Mary, they, they had a child and there's all this other stuff and, and they, they, they selectively eliminated that. Right? And, and even more, uh, more recent, there is a, there's another 
popular book called The Secret. If you think good thoughts, good thoughts will come to you, right? And they somehow incorporated that into the Christian faith because God's with you. So think good thoughts and God will be with you. The truth is, we have the foundations that the apostles and prophets have already laid, Christ himself being the cornerstone. But we need one another to grow maturity, to root us deeply in that truth so that when new winds of doctrine come, when new human cunning and schemes come, we could say, no, that's wrong. Because there's a gifted teacher in our church who has been teaching us. Nope, that's wrong. Because there's a, there's a gifted evangelist here and he shared with me the gospel. Nope, that's wrong. Because that breaks the unity of what we're doing here as a family. So the benefit of maturity is that we will be rooted in God's truth, and we won't be tossed to and fro by, by false doctrine or deceitful schemes. We'll put into practice the faith that is growing us. So instead of falling into all these different ways, we should be truthing in love. So it's kind of funny because the, in, in the original language, there's no speak, there's no verb for speak. So it actually says, rather, truthing in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when every part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's kind of it's kind of interesting, right, that the translators of the Bible decided to say speaking because I think that's a common way we interact with one another. But I think Paul actually has a, a broader sense of the word. It's not just the words we say has to be true but the way we hold ourselves to, towards one another, the way we act, our, 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 our behaviors towards one another should reflect the truth in love so that we could grow the church up. So when we teach each other and encourage each other and exhort and rebuke and pray, we need to do it in truth and in love. John Stott says this, and this is kind of interesting because sometimes you'll hear people say, hey, you know, sister, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you some, some truth and love. And you know they're going to just like slap you, right? You know, you know something bad's going to happen. They're like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak some truth, but don't worry because there's love. And then you're like, huh, I, I didn't really feel the love. <clears throat> truth becomes hard, John Stott says, if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. The apostle calls us to hold the two together. There's no other route than this to a fully mature Christian unity. And I think that's so true. Like we, we, could, we could be just truth, 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 and we have no love, and then our truth is, is worthless. And we could be love, 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 and we don't care what you do, but there's no truth. Then our love becomes worthless. Paul says, as we grow, we need a truth in love. We need to speak truth with love. Right? And we can't neglect one or we can't emphasize one at the, at the cost of another. Which brings us all the way back to where we started, unity in the church. If we desire unity in the church, if we desire to see the church function the way that God designed and intended it, we need to recognize that we each have a gift, a special ministry that God has called us to do. So the question I want to ask you right now, what is your gift? Because if you don't know your gift, if you don't know your ministry, if you don't have a task that you're doing in this church, uh, a service that you're providing, 
I'm suffering. And the person next to you is suffering. And some of you might think, well, it's not really. But that's literally what the Bible just said. If we want this church family to work like a good body does, where every part is functioning, we need to know our gift. We need to use our gift until we too achieve the fullness, maturity of Christ. So first thing that I want to highlight here, what is your spiritual gift? In your bulletins, there's that little QR code. Take a spiritual gift test. And you know, I, I, I'll just be honest. I, I'm not sure what I think about spiritual gift tests. I think, you know, when I, when I was when I was growing up, I used to try to um, skew the test, right? Like you, you're, lo- you're looking at this question, and you're clearly like, oh, here's someone who has a gift of administration. I'm like, oh, that seems lame. I don't want to do it. So you like take the answer this other way. Or like, oh, this this guy, this guy seems great. I want you know, I want to be like that guy. So spiritual gift, it's just a starting point right? Figure out what your spiritual gift, and then sign up for ministry. Figure out if that really is true of you or not. Or or you might not even need to, you know, find out your spiritual, just figure out where does God want you to serve? For some of us, you know, it's like you could say, well, uh, I don't know my spiritual gift, but I clearly see a need. Like these guys, they're desperate. They're saying, hey, we need help here. Like, Well, I feel, you know, God God wants me to help, so I'm going to help. So come to lunch, sign up for ministry, and finally spend time learning and putting into practice the truth of our faith. I think this is critical because uh, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, as long as I know that Jesus loves me and I love Jesus, then we're good. But that's not rooting us deeper into the truth of the doctrines that we believe in, the truth of the knowledge of Christ Jesus himself. So spend time putting into practice and learning the truth of our faith. And, And maybe for some of you, that means, hey, go to Sunday school. By the way, there's Sunday school, this right? Second service, right? Go to Sunday school. Learn what scripture has to say. And we we're talking with some of the youth earlier, some of the baptismal candidates. You know, go to Sunday school or, or go join a Bible study. There's BSF, there's midweek Bible study. There, there's all sorts of options. But learn about this great truth that God has given to us so that we can all attain to the maturity of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, that you are indeed a God that is our head and we want to grow into maturity and we want to grow and function in unity in the way that you created us. And Lord, for some of us, we do confess that we have not put our faith into practice. We simply know a lot. So Lord, would your spirit just encourage us, exhort us to serve. For some of us, we're still trying to figure it out. So would you make it very clear to us where it is that you would want us to serve and how we could be blessing to each other. For some of us, we struggle with speaking truth and love, or maybe we, we just love a lot with no truth. God, would you give us the right perspective on truthing and love, knowing that it is more than just our relationship at stake. It is the whole maturity of this church at stake. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.